Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin Butlers podcast. I am Mike Watkins, and with me, as always, is my good friend and business partner, Matt Burke. Hello. And each week, we try and bring you an intellectually honest discussion about news and events affecting Bitcoin. If you like our content, please like and subscribe. We would be most appreciative. So this week, Celsius filed for bankruptcy, making it the third or fourth week in a row that a significant player has melted down. So Matt, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think it, uh, first of all, isn't really surprising news. I think there's been a lot of speculation that this was going to happen. Um, Celsius had run into some serious liquidity problems over the past several weeks, and they had indicated that deposits, um, I'm sorry, withdrawals were going to be limited. Um, so their depositors were unable to get their assets out of the system. Um, and then they actually filed a uh, chapter 11 bankruptcy, which uh, showed that they have a $1.2 billion deficit in terms of um, their liabilities compared to their assets. So um, they're really in, in rough shape and are going to have to go through some sort of restructuring in order to, to have any chance at, uh, at making any of their depositors whole. And even if that does come around, that's not going to be for who knows how long. I mean, the Mount Gox situation is, is, I don't know what year we're in. We could be in year like seven or eight. Well, and Mount Gox is is different in the sense that here you've got a U.S. Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, if if you are not familiar with that process, it really allows you to restructure your business um, when you're insolvent. But at the same time, it stops um, any other third parties from suing you and, and kind of making your life miserable while you're trying to pull things together. Um, a lot of Chapter 11s end up in Chapter 7 liquidation anyway. Um, but the reality is that if you have deposits at Celsius that you have not been able to get out, um, you're just a, on their long list of unsecured creditors, which means that you kind of go to the back of the line in terms of how things get liquidated. And to the extent that you do ever get anything back, it will likely take years and at best will be pennies on the dollar. Without a doubt. If anyone thinks they're going to get, if anyone thinks they're going to get all of the money they're owed, they're, they're not, they're just simply not. And if people even think they're going to get half the money they're no, they're owed, they're almost certainly not. We don't know how things will play out, but usually it's just what you said. You're going to get pennies on the dollar. It takes years to get there. It's it's not a pleasant process, and I feel for the people that uh, were burned from this. Yeah, but I also think that uh, it teaches a good lesson that we talk about a lot in terms of uh, what you should do with your Bitcoin after you buy it. Um, mm-hmm. We've talked about the idea that if you are not, self-custodying your Bitcoin in your own wallet, preferably a multi-sig wallet, um, you are not holding Bitcoin. You don't actually own Bitcoin in that case. And you know, you hear the the cliche, not your keys, not your coins. And it is a cliche, but it's absolutely true. And this is proof. Um, if mm-hmm. you had bought Bitcoin on Celsius and it was sitting there, it is now gone for the most likely forever. Uh, yes. And I think uh, I, there's a saying that there are three types of people. There are people that learn from their own mistakes. 
there are people that don't learn from their own mistakes and there are people that learn from other people's mistakes and you want to be in the the category that people learn from other people's mistakes and people and people learn from their own mistakes and i think there's a good lesson here even for people who are not involved in celsius or three arrows or any of these other things which is you can learn from other people's mistakes here and one of the big lessons that you mentioned was that if you don't own bitcoin and, and even if you do own Bitcoin, but you don't own it and secure it the right way, then you don't really own Bitcoin. Because one of the unique things about it is that you can have what I'll let's just say we'll call it full control over that. I will use the term money for that. So before we got started, we were just talking about like if you had $100,000 and you wanted to, you didn't want to invest anywhere. You just want to put your money in a safe place. And you wanted to make sure that your money would be secure, but that also when you needed to get it, you could get it without anybody being a gatekeeper. So if you were to take this $100,000, let's say you won in a lottery or something, and you put into the bank, $100,000 in the bank is a safe place to put your money. However, it may not be so easy to get it out when and when you want it. Now, if you want to get it out at at 1 p.m. on a Monday and that there's not a, any kind of holiday and you're willing to go to the bank, you can get your money out. You, you might not be able to get it out in cash, but you could certainly get it out by a wire as long as there were no issues. But, but one of the amazing things with Bitcoin is it allows you to actually have full control over your money. No one can tell you you cannot send it. No one can tell you there's an amount you can't send. And even though you don't physically own it, it's not something you can physically put in your hand. You do have control over it as if you did. Well, yeah. And let's take that a step further. Let's say that that you had a very um, well-fortified safe in your home that's bolted to the floor and you kept your $100,000 in that safe. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that gives you the ability to access that money at mm -hmm. any point in time mm -hmm. in actual currency, as opposed to having to, you know, make arrangements with the bank to get cash or to send it out in a wire somewhere. Um, and so having that, you know, located literally within your property um, gives you much more unfettered access to that money. Mm. Um, but, you know, in the Bitcoin corollary there is that if you have, your Bitcoin being held in a self-storage solution, whether that's a single storage hardware device, if it is a multi-sig setup, um, even some, you know, cold wallets, those are going to be much more accessible to you at any point in time um, than if you are keeping it on an exchange where you have to go out to that exchange and ask them to send you your Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And, and the third thing I want to put in there as I was listening to you talk was that you want to be able to use your money. You want to be able to send it to someone. So in the example you gave, you can put $100,000 into it. Let's say it's an underground vault in your backyard, right? And no one can get to that money. But if you want to use it, it's quite difficult to use. If I want to buy something uh, from somebody and that person's not right in front of me, 
it's going to be very difficult to send that value to anybody where with Bitcoin, you can send that value to even if someone you've never met before and they can be comfortable and you could be comfortable. That's right. And on top of that, you have the ability to verify those transactions on your own if you're running your own mm -hmm. node and mm -hmm. not relying on anyone else to tell you how many Bitcoin are in circulation and exactly how many you own down to eight decimal points. So um, mm -hmm. I think all of these are um, things that we think are important for Bitcoin owners to do. We wrote about it at length in our best practices uh, paper that's on our website. But, um, you know, that's one of the beautiful things about Bitcoin is that it truly does give you full control over your money and the ability to verify what you've sent, where you've sent it, um, and exactly how much you're holding. And, um, that's not really something that you can do with any other asset. No, it's, it's, uh, the more you dig into it, the more you learn about it, the more you realize it's the best money ever created. Yeah. And, and one other little point that I actually meant to mention last week when we were talking about, um, Bitcoin versus other cryptocurrencies is that the ability to run a Bitcoin node is something that's somewhat unique to Bitcoin. It takes very little hard drive space to, to run your own node. You can easily run a node. Um, I run mine on a one terabyte hard drive. That's less than halfway um, full. So, you know, if you try to do that, even with other cryptocurrencies, it's very, very difficult to run a full node um, without having to have a tremendous amount of uh, space or, you know, potentially have to host it somewhere else other than in your, in your own home or, or office or wherever you're running your node. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So with that, well, there's a quite a bit of interesting news this week, Matt. Um, let's get started with some of that. Yeah. All right. Let's go to this next one. Paraguay crypto framework, one step away from becoming law. So um, there is a law that's been passed in Paraguay. I think it just needs to be uh, ratified by the president of the country, but it's passed through legislation. And I think they've been working on this for quite some time now um, to try to come up with a regulatory framework to allow people to uh, interact with uh, Bitcoin and other crypto within the country of Paraguay. Yeah, one of the things I thought was weird about this is that there was like a focus on mining with it. That Paraguay thought it was necessary to come out with something, a law that talked about mining, but also that they put this in the news for it also. So there's some, uh, there's some interesting things in there. Uh, one of them is that the miners will not have to pay the VAT or value added tax that they have in a lot of European countries, Latin American countries, and Latin American countries too. Uh, but your, you will have to pay the, you will have to pay an income tax on what you earn from mining. That's right. Yeah. They, they have uh, some weird little nuances in the law around mining and there are, I believe electricity is subsidized in Paraguay was part of what I was reading there. And so um, there will still be some subsidies, but the, one of the ways I guess that they'll, 
they'll take their their little piece of that is that the energy used for Bitcoin mining will be slight will be less subsidized than the other electricity. Yeah, the 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 miners have to pay a fifteen percent higher rate than other industries. So I don't know what that equates to in terms of of dollars when you take away the the that tax and add in that additional surcharge, you know, if they come out ahead or behind, I don't know, but, um, but it sounds like at, at the minimum, they've come up with a, a thoughtful approach to, um, to regulate it. And I think we've said this, you know, many times that this is an important first step for many countries is that if you want to see adoption happen on any type of meaningful scale, there has to be a way for Bitcoin to interact with the existing financial regulatory system. And, um, and this is kind of supporting that idea that they, they want to have it, but they don't want it to be um, completely unregulated and lawless mm -hmm. to where they have no idea what's going on. And, and that's, you know, government's got to, the tax man's got to take his share. So that's how it goes. For sure. And I, and, and I don't think there's anything really revolutionary coming out of, uh, Paraguay with this, although there were some rumors last year that Paraguay might be like the next country to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. We don't see any indications of that, but I do think that any country, regardless of what it is, that's putting in regulation for digital assets, so I'm just going to call it Bitcoin regulation, I think that's a positive. We may not like some of the rules they come up with, and we may not think that they know what they're doing as far as making the rules. But if you want Bitcoin to, if you have, if you really want Bitcoin to become a significant player on the world's financial stage, you have to have regulation in almost every country where it's used. Well and, and if you look at, there's kind of three alternatives there. It's that it's either completely regular, completely unregulated. Mm -hmm. It's either, or it's banned mm -hmm. or it's regulated. And so obviously we don't want it to be banned. Um, not that that necessarily does anything to Bitcoin if you ban it somewhere, but it's still not, we wouldn't want to see a Bitcoin ban of any form, you know, be, introduced here in the US. Um, and if it's completely unregulated, it really hinders adoption in, in a lot of ways, because there's going to be so much political pressure to regulate it and so much stigma around the idea that you've got something that's completely unregulated, that it just makes it hard to move forward with it. So I think that the only real logical outcome then is that you, you go for the most reasonable regulation that you can to allow it to con continue to expand in terms of its footprint. And did you see anything in this from what you know about this, what's going on Paraguay that you, any red flags for you, anything that really stood out that you didn't like? Not really. Yeah. Same. Um, I also, we, we didn't put a slide up for it, but there was also a story about the small country of Andorra in Europe, mm -hmm. um, which is a, t I mean, truly a tiny country. That's uh, I believe it's between France and Spain and they've got like, 80,000 people or less that live there. Um, mm -hmm. But it's not a completely insignificant country in the sense that they've got a pretty strong GDP per capita. Um, I actually looked to see 
comparing it to the other recent adoption news in Africa, the Central African Republic, um, you know, the Central African Republic has five plus million people living there. Um, and Andorra's got, like I said, less than 80,000, but, um, Andorra's, uh, gross domestic product is about 50% more than Central mm. African Republic. So, you know, from that standpoint, relatively speaking, it's, you know, maybe not insignificant, um, just to see a more developed and wealthier country adopting it, um, and see what they, what they do there. I think all adoptions, regardless of how small the country is, are all great. They all add up and they can add up in weird ways. And the only way, as long as there are outlets for Bitcoin, Bitcoin will find, will sort of gravitate towards them. But it makes it more and more difficult for any of the nation states to really ban it if there are other places where it's completely legal. And while I'm certainly no expert on this next part, I believe that because El Salvador has it as legal tender, that it has to like be universally accepted by all the countries and whatever banking agreement they're in. Do you know more about that than me? There is, a, there, there is some truth to that. Yeah, there is. I don't know specifics on that, but there is something where if you have a country that has a, you know, official currency, then mm -hmm. it does get some, it gives it some status in terms of all of the world currencies. Um, the, you know, the, the various uh, international banking agreements and stuff have to say, okay, whatever your national currency is, we'll have to recognize it and deal in. Right. Right. It's automatically accepted. So any country that wants to do this, I don't care how big, well, it'd be great if we had a really big country do it, but even these little, these small countries, that's where it's going to start from. You're not going to get a, you're not going to get India making it legal for a billion plus citizens. It's going to start with, you know, a four million country, a country of four million people, maybe even Andorra of eighty thousand people. That that'd be very small, but it, it all helps, and it's all part of what one of the things we're looking for is the trajectory of things. We're trying to yeah. figure out where are things going to be. We know where things are right now. We can guess where things are going to be in, let's say, a year, two years, five years. But we're really looking down the line, like, where where are we going? And by putting all these different stories together and all these little countries and all the stuff that we're trying to do here each week, I think we're painting uh, a fairly clear picture of where things are going. And we don't, we said this before, but we do not screen for bad news. We do not present good news. We present the news that we find on any given week and we try and we try and pick the news stories that are the most relevant and provide the most i would say uh the best insight for what we see coming up so um once again another positive story even if the 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 andorra story which i'm talking about even if it's a tiny country of eighty thousand people that most people wouldn't know as a country uh if they make positive steps towards adoption, that is a positive thing for Bitcoin. Absolutely. All right, let's keep going. Uh, here we've got uh, state-owned bank Swiss uh, Swiss Post or Post Finance um, to offer clients direct access to the crypto market. So uh, this uh, Post Bank is 
the fifth largest financial institution in Switzerland. Um, it's actually state owned. And it also happens to be the same entity that uh, runs their postal service. And they are going to be implementing a platform to allow their uh, clients, which I think I read they have over 2 million customers um, that will be able to, uh, to access the crypto markets through their banking relationship. Yeah, it's another Swiss bank that is looking to provide these services. Now, this is part of that, what we're starting to see, and I know we've got another story coming up with this, that, that one of the questions moving forward is what role are the banks going to play with Bitcoin? And there's an argument to be made, I think, that says that the banks are really going to be the exchanges, that you would let's say you can deposit your paycheck in the bank and then the bank will give you a way to convert part of that paycheck into Bitcoin. And you may even get a statement from the bank each month that says, you know, here's your cash balance. And then your Bitcoin is obviously in your Bitcoin account and here's your, your Bitcoin balance. And if you want to convert from Bitcoin back to fiat, this bank will do it for you. And they're going to take a, I don't know, they're going to take up 0.1% finance or, or exchange rate fee, whatever it may be. I'm sure the banks will come up with something and then you can move it around. So yeah, I would say, I would say I could see, I could see a scenario like, you know, if you sign up for, uh, for direct deposit at work, you know, you have the ability to split it. You could put some into your checking account, some into your savings account um, in the actual banking world, checking and savings accounts are slightly different. Um, types of accounts. They have some different actual features to them. So, um, you know, I could see a, a scenario where you say, okay, I'm going to put 80% of my uh, money into a checking account, 10% of my paycheck into a traditional savings account or a money market account. And I'm going to put 10% into a Bitcoin account and it just automatically gets, gets converted and deposited. Um, and, and that could be one way that the banks, you know, set it up. Um, hopefully they'll allow for, for self-custody at that point too, mm. but who knows? Mm. Um, and then uh, the banks will then become part of the market that uh, that is the on and off ramps between fiat and Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing about this one is that I, I love the banks getting involved, but, uh, but I hate the banks being the custodian. And that even if there's something convenient there for you, uh, you still want to take possession of your, your own Bitcoin. Now, with the bank being there, and the bank can make it easier for you to convert your fiat to Bitcoin, and that could be a valuable service. Um, but then they also have to let you move it to your own private storage, and then hopefully create a, a streamlined mechanism to take it out of cold storage and quickly get it back into your account where you would want to spend it if you want to spend it using fiat. Yeah. And who knows if that will ever, you know, if it'll, it will go that way, if the banks are going to want to encourage self-custody, um, which you could see where they might not, but hopefully um, to the extent that they don't, there's at least, you know, something, if the, if the, 
U.S. banks are doing it, then hopefully there's something equivalent to like FDIC insurance where, you know, if you've got a deposit at the bank, mm-hmm. there's some guarantee that up to a reasonable amount, it's, it's not, it's protected. Um, but again, that doesn't, that's not better than holding your own keys. It's just not as bad as, you know, having a, a full custodial type of uh, setup. Right. But I could see that being their incentive for everybody, right? So say, listen, oh, you can, we don't mind. If you buy Bitcoin from us, it's fine. You can take your Bitcoin off. You can move it to cold storage if you want. There's no problem. There are no restrictions. But if you keep it with us, then you get this type of insurance and you don't have to worry that something's going to happen to it. Where if you do, you know, your own storage and you could lose your keys, this could happen, that could happen. They'll give you some kind of uh, a story for all the risks that could happen to you. But if you leave it with uh, Trust Us Bank United, whatever, uh, then you don't have to worry and, and your money's insured. And I'll tell you what, and I hadn't really thought of that before, but I think that would be an extremely popular option for 80 plus percent of the people. Yeah, especially if there was some, uh, if, I mean, you would have to imagine that banks are potentially going to uh, to pay interest on those deposits, just like any other savings account, if, they're, if they've got access to that money. Yeah, yeah, another good point, especially since they have access to those coins that, that you know, if you, you put in cold storage, you can earn exactly zero. And now you're responsible for all the storage and all these bad things could happen. If you leave it with us, at the bank, you're going to make, you know, whatever, 2% interest a year and it's insured. So you are protected. Who knows? Um, but uh, I'll, let's go to the next story, because I think that kind of uh, uh is a continuation of what we're talking about here, which is mm. the uh, Southland Credit Union in uh, California, uh, which I th- believe is a pretty big credit union, is going to enable Bitcoin purchases uh, with NIDIG. And, uh, you know, we, we see a lot of these financial institution adoption stories uh, also have NIDIG involved. They're obviously a huge player in helping uh, companies and financial institutions kind of, you know, hook into the Bitcoin rails to be able to offer that to mm-hmm. their customers. And one thing that I saw in this article that I didn't like is that it's they don't have a plan for uh, being able to get that Bitcoin out of the bank. You can hold money in the form of Bitcoin, but again, it's more of an IOU that's, you know, measured in Bitcoin as opposed to actually holding your own coins. Right. Users cannot transfer Bitcoin using this plan. You can buy it, sell it, and hold it, just like we talked about before, but you cannot transfer it. So you never really take full ownership of it. And while I like to see adoption from all the financial institutions, and while we do not give out financial advice, we just try and have intellectually honest conversations, I would still recommend that people not take this solution that not holding your own Bitcoin means it's not your Bitcoin. Right. And so there may be some, I like the, the ability to buy it and sell it, but if you can't get it, if you can't fully take possession of it, uh, there are better options available. And as we see this thing with Celsius and all these other things that happened, the, the not your keys, not your coins is a bit of a cliche, maybe at this point. 
But the concept is still there, which is that you have this very, very unique asset where you can take full possession of what you have. And it doesn't take up space. It doesn't take up, you don't have to have a special room for it. You don't have to clear out any anything from your house in order to take possession of it. Uh, but it's still completely yours and nobody else can control it or confiscate it. And if you need to, if you're in a really unusual situation, you need to go, let's say, across international borders. Mm -hmm. You can just, you can put in a wallet, which will have 12 seed words. You can remember those 12 seed words in your head and you're not even moving with, you're not even crossing the border with any device on you. It's just, it's just 12 words in your head is enough to keep possession of it. It's really remarkable. Obviously not many people really understand that. I, I think for the most part, not many people really understand Bitcoin, but that's why we keep repeating this and, and, and trying to get people to understand just the, the magic of this and how powerful it is to, to really take full possession of your money. Of money that's borderless and global and doesn't require a, a country to back it. And, and so I think, you know, if you can remember 12 words, then you can have money anywhere in the world uh, is a pretty powerful statement. I'll, I'll go one step, I'll go one step further. If you can remember 12 words, you can use those 12 words to buy a yacht. <laughs> and you know how I know? That's how you know. Oh no, that's the wrong, that's the wrong, that's one. the wrong slide. <laughs> My apologies. Uh, but so here, I'll jump to that one. Uh, yeah. here, yacht zoo. So this um, came out this week. Go ahead. Yeah, that's uh, the other company we see that's always uh, involved in these adoption stories is BitPay, um, who are just tearing it up all over the world, getting people to uh, accept Bitcoin and cryptocurrency as a form of payment. And uh, Yacht Zoo, which is a yacht brokerage and rental house, I believe, um, is now going to be able to accept crypto and Bitcoin um, for the purchase or charter of a luxury yacht. Yeah, once again, it's just it's another BitPay story, but congratulations to BitPay. I think they're doing I don't think they get enough credit for, for what they're doing to spread adoption and the ability to pay for things. And now we have the ability to to pay for it, to buy a yacht uh, or to rent a yacht using Bitcoin. Yeah. It's uh and again, uh, you know, I find it interesting that we see a lot of these adoption stories tend to be on the luxury item side of things. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you're not seeing uh, big stories and maybe it's just because it, maybe that's part of the story is that it's, you know, they're big ticket items. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to see that these, you know, luxury watchmakers and luxury fashion brands and yacht brokers and car dealerships and, you know, suites at, football and mm. soccer games, all of that are, uh, are all mm. things that are, that are pretty common in, in the space. Um, and um, speaking of people who can afford luxury items, um, this was our next slide. The, uh, the richest Bitcoin whale uh, has 
exploded to over 2.56 billion, um, which the uh, the story here is that there's really been a uh, there's been a big accumulation event that's happened as we've seen the drawdown. Um, I think in the beginning of the drawdown, there was maybe a little bit of of uh, people freaking out over it to figure out what happened. But there is a uh, there was a point in time where that um, where there was just a large amount of accumulation as we saw that drawdown kind of get to the bottom. And um, um, and and you've seen large holders, um, anyone holding, you know, between 10 and 100 bitcoins if you have if you look at you know on-chain analysis and look at the wallets that are holding 10 to 100 bitcoin that we know are not exchanges um you've seen those wallets increase in size over the past few months mm -hmm. yeah i think uh this is really pretty fascinating now First of all, do we know if it says the the title of the article is "Rich Richest Bitcoin Whale Bought"? I think they bought what they buy this week, like uh, almost fifteen hundred Bitcoin, fourteen hundred eighty Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of Bitcoin. It's worth about thirty million dollars or so. So here's someone that owns uh, two and a half billion dollars plus of bitcoin and when this when the prices crashed they didn't sell they were buying a fairly sizable amount more i mean 1500 bitcoin 1400 bit 1480 bitcoin is a lot and it says their total is uh 132,883 bitcoin yeah those are like michael sailor type numbers that's right um yeah, this is and and again, you know, since we don't know who it is, I guess it's hard to say who that actual whale. If it's a who, it could is. be a group. Could be a group. Could be a company. Mm -hmm. We don't know, but um, but I think what's interesting is that you know, in this last kind of you know bear market that we've been seeing, you did have this period where there was a lot of. There was a lot of accumulating, you know, earlier this year when the price was was doing pretty well, and then you saw the start to drop, and a lot of leg leverage got shaken out of the system mm -hmm. to where there was, you know, dumping on the way down because probably largely due to you know people getting forced out of their positions due to leverage. Mm -hmm. um, but then for the you know for for the last several weeks, we've seen accumulation um, more than than selling off. So I think that that's uh, mm. that's interesting just to see that you've got these large holders that um, their conviction isn't really changing in terms of how they view the asset. They're just waiting to the point where they think it's the right pr price to keep accumulating. Mm. So I could rephrase this in a way that I think maybe gives some different perspective, which is what happened when the price of Bitcoin tanked in 2022? What happened when it went to, I think it hit 17,000 and changed. Well, let's just say when Bitcoin was at 
uh, what do we do? Like 70% from its peak of that cycle. What were people doing? And the answer is a lot of the people that owned Bitcoin before were buying. That you hear people saying, oh, you know, I remember this. I remember when Bitcoin was at 60,000. People like, oh, I'm too late. Yeah. I would have done it, but I'm too late. <laughs> and and then the you know, I would have bought it at 40, but you know, I'm too late now. Or I would have bought it, let's just say 20. I would have bought it then, but you know, it's gone up 3x from 20. I, I, I'm just too late. I can't buy into it now. And then you see that when it gets to 20, those same people that said they they would do it if or they would buy it if just don't. However, uh, addresses that were holding 10 to 100 Bitcoin added 52,000 Bitcoin over the past five weeks. Yeah. And the, and the person or the wallet, we don't know if it's a person, we just know the wallet that had uh, an extreme amount. I don't know if it's the largest wallet or not, but it's one of the largest wallets out there. They added just that wallet alone at almost 1,500 Bitcoin. Yeah. And well, I think, I, I think they, they said that that is the biggest wallet other than the only two bigger that they know of. They've confirmed are um, Binance and Bitfinex's wallets. So is this more than like uh micro strategy? Is this more than, um, then, uh, grayscale, something doesn't seem to quite add up because, Grayscale has like 600,000 Bitcoin, I think. Uh, got MicroStrategy shape. has like 129,000. Yeah, 127. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's a, well, you know, there's another saying, uh, well, do as I say, not as I do. But I think in the Bitcoin world, we want to reverse that, which is wh what are people doing, not what, what are people saying? And the mm -hmm. answer here is that people, I don't I don't want to say these are people with more Bitcoin conviction necessarily. I think these are people who are more educated regarding Bitcoin because I think a lot of Bitcoin isn't really about like a subjective thought about it. It's sort of how much education do you have with it? And it seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong here, if you have a different opinion, but that once people get to a certain level of understanding with it, anything over that level is, I'll just call it like serious conviction. Like once you understand it, you understand it. And it's very hard to un-understand it, to unring that bell. So clearly here we're seeing people who've already, you know, a hundred Bitcoins, a lot of Bitcoin. That's a whole lot of Bitcoin. Yeah. Even 10 Bitcoin is a lot of Bitcoin. So, so these holders of 10 to 100 have added an enormous amount. You know, if we take 52,000, I don't know what goes on in each one, but you might be seeing, let's just say, somewhere between 30 and 70,000 people in that group adding to their position. It's hard to say what each person bought because someone could have 100 Bitcoin, they, they buy three, and someone could have 10 Bitcoin, and they buy 0.2 Bitcoin. <laughs> so we don't know. But that's still 52,000 is a lot of Bitcoin. That means there's also a lot of users behind that who aren't yep. panicking, who are saying, all right, great. I'm just going to get Keep more. 
Right. And I don't know what that, uh, that wallet with, you know, the, the giant whale wallet with 130,000 plus in it. I don't know. I don't know what the, what the thinking was behind that, but I can tell you this, that if you're trying to lower your basis for what you're in those coins for, and you own 130,000 plus and you buy another 1500, it's not going to do much to lower your basis. So therefore the only explanation is they just wanted to acquire more on, on what they consider the cheap. Yep. All right. Well, you anything else on that or should we keep going? Yeah, I have something else. Um, I, I found this to be a, a pretty powerful story. Like it gives some visibility into what's going on there. A lot of the stuff we're seeing is, you know, this country's adopting it, which is great. Or these companies are doing something, which is also great. Uh, but seeing what some of the really big players are doing in a time of, let's just be, let's just call it, we call this a time of crisis or something like that. And we see, you know, Celsius going bankrupt in three arrows and Voyager digital and Terra and all these things that are melting down. And then we have to, con to contrast that it's, it's a Bitcoin only story. And it shows you that the people who are really into Bitcoin have been buying Bitcoin when it's yep. been cheap, when it's been at a price that they think is cheap. Not not running away from they're not selling it, um, they're acquiring. So, um, yeah, interesting. All right. Well, uh, as always, we it seems like we've got news in the sports world. Um, first one is the New York Yankees, uh, who is going to be able to pay employees in Bitcoin, and uh, this was a response to. Um, demand from their employee base that there are, there's a large percentage of, um, in, of people that are, you know, mostly on the younger side that want to find a way to get paid in, in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things from the article that really stuck out to me was that now it's coming from NIDIG. They're the ones putting out the article more or less, but they said that their research shows that 36% of employees under 30 would be interested in allocating a portion of their paycheck to Bitcoin. And that's about one in three also said that when choosing between two identical jobs or two, two identical or two, essentially two identical employers, that the ability to help them get paid some Bitcoin uh, would help them choose one over the other. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. A third of the people that they talked to would choose a job that allowed them to get paid in Bitcoin versus one that didn't. And, you know, the, the interesting thing there is that there are ways to very easily convert a portion of your paycheck to Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. I mean, the easiest way to do it is with strike. You can sign, you can set it up to where, you know, it's a direct deposit type of setup. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the thing that I found interesting about this is that if you know enough about it to want to get paid in Bitcoin. And you say that one and you know, and, and there's one in three employees that say that they would choose the job that would allow them to do this. Is that saying more about the ability to do it or the more about, or more about the company that they want to work for? 
I'm going to probably go with neither. Okay. I, I'm, I'm a bit puzzled by this because there, there are people under 30 and I'm just surprised that it's such a high number or high percentage of people under 30 had such an interest in savings that they were concerned about it, you know, where they could save their money, how they could put it, how they could save it for the future. Well, I don't, now, I don't know that now to be fair though. I, I mean, I, th they are talking about a, th this is a Nidic Bitcoin savings plan, but is it because they really want to save money or they really just want to have some of their money automatically in Bitcoin? Might not be. I don't know. Thing. I don't know because it's so easy to, if you have any interest in getting, in buying Bitcoin and you're under 30, you can be set up in just a couple minutes and you can press a couple buttons on your phone at will whenever you want and, and buy it really easily. So I just, I don't know why that would be like a, a way to differentiate, like a job differentiator. And I also don't know why such a high percentage of the people under 30 were so interested in, in allocating a portion of their pay to Bitcoin. It's encouraging. I, I'm just surprised to see it and I don't quite get it. Well, it, and it is a, uh, Look, what, what we don't have is the sample size of, of this mm -hmm. uh, this exercise mm -hmm. and exactly who they're talking to. But just, you know, when you when you if you if they asked 100 people under 30, what they're implying is that 36 of those 100 would be interested in Bitcoin. And out of those 36, 12 of them, so 12 out of 100 would choose one job over another if Bitcoin pay was part of the equation. Right. And you also added that you don't know how they phrased the question. Sure. But I'll say this. Uh, the New York Yankees is a world-class organization. They are an iconic organization in the world of sports, not just American sports, but just in the world of sports. The Yankees oh, they're are a, yeah. And, uh, uh, there's also, you know, NIDIG. I, I'm assuming there are people, I, I'd be willing to bet there's some sort of connection between some people that work at NIDIG, maybe only one person, and some people that work at the New York Yankees. So they're in the same city. They're, for all you know, they're, they're employees of one. That, for all you know, an employee of NIDIG now works at the Yankees or vice versa or... You know, there, there are people there that are friendly with each other and this help come around. But uh, we, we like to see the sports franchises, especially the big sports franchises, adopting this in some way. And that's one of the reasons we, we choose to highlight it as it comes up. Now, once again, we don't, we don't delay the stories so that we can report on them. We just report on whatever or talk about whatever has happened that week. And this week was the New York Yankees and another team, another very big team in the world of sports. So, um, which I guess we're going to yeah. put that slide up now, which is uh, Atletico Madrid. So Atletico Madrid is the third biggest team in Spain. Uh, the two biggest teams are Barcelona and Real Madrid. And 
this story I thought was kind of crazy because Whalefin, who I'd never heard of before. Had you ever heard of Whalefin? No, I, I'm not familiar with Amber Group or Whalefin. Yeah. yeah, me neither. So never heard of Whalefin before. And they agreed to pay, I think it's $43 million a year. 40-something million, yeah. 40-something million on a five-year contract to be the official sponsor on the Atletico Madrid jersey. Right there. So I I assume I know what this means. Maybe if if I'm wrong, try to correct Mm -hmm. me. But when you say they're the the official main partner and the official Mm -hmm. global partner, Mm -hmm. um, because they seem to differentiate between the two. So the official global and main partner. The main partner, I get, that means that uh, the whale fin logo is going to be on all of the jerseys that the players wear at the games. It's the main, the main yes, logo it'll be on their chest. for Atletico de Madrid, just like, mm. you know, any other uh, famous sponsor that you see on any soccer team around the world there. That's who's going to be on the third largest team in Spain, which is, you know, they La Liga is the Spanish uh, soccer league. And these guys were the champions either last year or the year before, but in the, in recent times they've won the championship. They're huge in, in Spain. Um, and so it's a big deal. Yeah. And I, I Whalefin also did a sponsorship of Chelsea in the premier league. And I think they're paying $20 million a year to be on Chelsea's sleeve. So for Atletico Madrid, it'll be on the player's chest and everyone will see it, but they also sell patches on each sleeve and Chelsea was paid 20 million just to be um, just have whale fin on their sleeve. Pretty incredible. It is, although this isn't, uh, you know, we'd like to see the the stuff associated with the brands. Um, are these teams we've discussed this before? Are these teams just taking the highest bidder? Are they really worried about reputational risk? Obviously they're worried about the risk of them being paid. Right. So, but uh, they're not, they don't have a lot of what I'm going to call like morality as far as what goes on their jersey. Well, look, we'll, we'll we'll continue to monitor it. And I promise that the first time we have an article about a uh, soccer team with a bankrupt exchange on its jersey, we'll be talking about it. I'm sure it's going to happen at some point. (laughs) It's going to (laughs) happen. But, uh, but, but really what this does is it just, I just think that each little bit moves the needle of the public consciousness. So I'll tell you this, uh, every, okay. So I'll say this: every soccer fan in Spain will know what whale fin is. And Absolutely. I don't know what the population of Spain is, but like, easily 80% of the adults in that country are soccer fans. So the brand recognition you get from this is really significant. It really puts it front and center. And once again, it's just in the public consciousness, like, okay, this really, really big team here. That's, you know, the, everyone's heard, well, a lot of people have heard of the Real Madrid Barcelona games. That's called the, uh, El Clasico. Yeah. 
it's one of my bucket list things to do. I really, really would love to go to one of those games. I don't care which which of the two cities it's in. I don't really care which team wins. I just would love to see that that matchup, sort of like a Yankees Red Sox game. Sure, a lot of lot of passion, a lot of rivalry there. But what people don't know is that Atletico Madrid has like a smaller game with both of these other two teams. It's not quite the same hype matchup. But it's in that same basic category. So an enormous amount of brand. Playing. Yeah, it's it is. So so whale fin is just gonna be part of what people in Spain know. I mean, yeah, that's what you're buying I, for 40 million a year. And my comment there was gonna be that when we talk about these sponsorship deals and and different, you know, well-known brands that are making Bitcoin headlines it's it's pushing it further into kind of just general culture mm -hmm. meaning that it's it's now just part of society that there are these cryptocurrency companies out there that are you know becoming part of what people understand as an industry and so you know it it does lead towards adoption. It, it leads towards people figuring out what it's about. I mean, if you see whale fin on the Jersey of your team and you have no idea what whale fin is, are you going to go look it up? I mean, maybe. And like you said, there's, you know, there's almost 50 million people that live in Spain. Um, and so it's, it's big exposure and there are, you know, fans all around the world of, of, these Spanish football clubs because you've got a lot of international players playing in them. And, um, mm -hmm. and it's not just Spain. You know, that's a good point. I really didn't think of that before. Uh, I really did not think of that, but you're right. These teams are essentially like world all-star teams. So oh, yeah, they're, they're basically, they don't, there are no salary caps in any way there are no league rules each team is independent so if you mm -hmm. i think one of the only rules that you have to be financially like uh there are some financial rules that you can't you can't borrow a certain amount to buy players because people will just buy players like so there are very very few financial rules it's not like american sports where there's a salary cap and all kinds of restrictions and so, so these teams are buying the best players from all over the world. So while you play on, well, like the, well, we could take uh, the two biggest players that were in Spain were uh, Messi and Ronaldo. Ronaldo's mm -hmm. from Portugal and Messi's from Argentina. So if, uh, if Messi's wearing a, uh, if Messi's wearing whale fin on his jersey, Everyone in Argentina will know what whale fin is. Right. And if they don't, when they watch the match, they're going to say, what's whale fin? They will. Yeah. It's actually, there, there's probably an argument to be made that it's like probably one of the best ways you could spend your money. I mean, you think about it like uh, a Super Bowl. Well, a Super Bowl commercial is how much for 30 seconds this past time. I'm not sure. I can look it up quickly and tell you, but. Was, yeah. Five million. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Mm-hmm. 
And then keep in mind that soccer plays it's essentially ten months a year. So you're paying four million dollars a month or so to, to six get and a half million for a thirty a second million. spot. Mm-hmm. Um, but the exposure, like you said, I think um, when you're talking about, you know, I, it's. I don't think it's necessarily a coincidence that you've got the global money being advertised on the, at the most global sport. So you see these, you know, Mm -hmm. soccer jerseys Mm -hmm. and it affects people all over the world. Unless you're talking about a country's national team, the high level, um, you know, soccer clubs around the world are all going to have international players playing Mm. on their team. Even, even with the MLS here, which is, you know, one of the, one of the, they're not considered to be a particularly high level league. They still have good international players that are playing all over the league. So, you know, when you have um, advertisements that are focused towards, whether it's not Bitcoin specific, but it's still, I mean, no matter what crypto you're dealing with, part of it is that it's not tied to a, to a country or jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. So um, Mm -hmm. I think it's a really smart way to uh, market to, you know, who are the users of the product that that you're advertising for. Mm -hmm. And one other thing, which we didn't list here, but I just thought of as we were talking was that the world series of poker, which just ended, uh, actually, funny story about the World Series of Poker that just ended. The guy that won the World Series of Poker uh, lost like a million dollars on Terra. He had like a, <laughs> a pretty big chunk of his net worth in Terra, and he lost that million. Now he made ten million. Um, but the World Series of Poker had a, uh, a crypto sponsor. I don't remember the name of the of who it was. I know it was like the fastest way to earn crypto. I didn't even pay attention to it. Yeah, but. But it's, it's certainly making its way into the world of sports and into the world of culture. And I think that, that the gains that it makes into the world of culture cannot be understated. Absolutely. Because when things become part of the culture, then you can't just ignore them and pretend that you know you can make it go away at the snap of a finger. No, and it's it's just it's in it's in our uh, our conversations now. If you think that if you hear someone's like a crypto multimillionaire, you're like, yeah, sounds about right. <laughs> and then the converse is true. If you're a guy who used to be a multimillionaire and lost all his money in crypto, yeah, it sounds about right too. Yep. And uh, and again, Bitcoin is not crypto. Bitcoin is Bitcoin. That's right. All right. Uh, anything else? No, I think that's good for this week. All right. Well, tell people uh, where to find us. Yeah. Um, as you said in the beginning, like and subscribe here on YouTube. Uh, if you're listening on a podcast platform, please uh, download it and subscribe to our podcast wherever you may listen to it. And come find us uh, on the internet. We're on the, on the web at btcbutlers.com on Twitter at BTC Butlers. You can email us info at btcbutlers.com. You can put comments in our YouTube videos. You can email us questions. You can DM us on Twitter. We would love to hear from you. Um, If you want help with any of the 
best practices for Bitcoin owners, such as how to buy Bitcoin, how to store your Bitcoin, how to inheritance plan around your Bitcoin, um, and how to run your own node, then Bitcoin Butlers is ready and able to help. And we would be glad to help you, especially with the inheritance planning side of things. Our sovereign inheritance plan is a great way to create a roadmap for your heirs to uh, make sure that when you die, your Bitcoin doesn't die with you. So um, all that said, hope to hear from you. If you have any stories, topics you'd like to like us to talk about, let us know. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you, Matt. Bye.